Hello, I'm, I'm excited to be back. How are all you doing today? There's snow. <laughs> so the last time I was here with you guys, let me pull my Bible out here on my phone. The last time I was here with you guys, shoot, I've been here a couple times with you guys. So I did the wake up message. That was um, a message on the Great Commission. And then I did a message called God's Signs in the Storms. And that was just about God giving signs in storms, and he's with you through these storms, and he's revealing himself to you, and he's showing you what path to take, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The last time I was up here, I did the kill the noise message, which was on being sold out for Christ, killing the noise from the distractions of the world, and being in tune to God and being able to pick up the signals from the Holy Spirit when he wants to prompt you to make moves. And when you looked at John the Baptist's life, he was in the desert, fasting, praying, waiting on God. And God used this ordinary man to do extraordinary things. And when we looked at John the Baptist's life, he didn't have much. He ate locusts and honey. And he, but he had the word of God, praying and fasting. And those are the three things that we all have access to. And I guarantee you have, you all have more than John the Baptist. So I'm going to, today I'm going to, um, I've always, every time I've spoke, I pulled little, little highlight reels from my testimony um, of certain things that have happened in my life. But I want to, I want to encourage you guys uh, this today, because we're in a, we're in a season of, we're going into a new year. It's Christmas time. And, uh, you know, we know that right now there's a lot of prodigals and I know a lot of you guys are probably praying for prodigals or, you know, maybe your wife walked away from you. you maybe your husband walked away from you. Maybe your kids, you know, aunt, you know, aunts, uncles, different people have walked away from God during this season over the last couple months. And I want to tell you guys a story. I want to go through my testimony and I'm going to throw in biblical truths all through it and walk you through this whole story that it will inspire you that God is alive and he's still moving, and he's still speaking, and he still wants to do great things with whosoever. Whosoever's are from bums to presidents, whoever believes in Christ. And I just noticed, where the, there's some high school students and middle, middle grade students that are missing. They said they were going to come in here, so they better get their behinds over here because they need to hear this message. All right, so anyway, I'm going to start off by going ahead and reading this to you guys. Let me pray. In Jesus' name, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and Fill us. Release the torrents of the living water in this room. I pray that it will go forth through the airwaves, Lord, as we know that there's many people listening right now around the nation and whoever's listening online, Lord. That, Lord, that you will illuminate my mind, that you will forgive me of my sins, that you will wash me white as snow with the blood that was shed on the cross. And, God, that you will empower me with the dunamis power and that you will bring the words and the scriptures to mind so that this will not only be a story, but there will be biblical truths running, interweaving all through it, God. So it will come alive, it will unpack, and it will, Im- Im- it will impact people's lives as they are here today. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start by reading Ephesians 2. It talks about being made, made alive with Christ. Verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger. 
just like everyone else. But God, in his rich and loving mercy, he loved us so much that he... Okay, hold on. i got to put my phone on airplane mode because I'm getting all kinds of text messages right now. Here we go. But God, in his rich and mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages of examples of his incredible wealth, of his grace and his kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. God saved us by his grace when you believe. So salvation comes through belief. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he has planned for us, long ago. And they showed up. Where's your other friends? They're coming. They're coming. Okay, good. So salvation is a gift. We were all caught up in sin at one time, but by believing in Jesus Christ, he gave us the gift of salvation. There's nothing we could do to work for it, to be a good boy or be a good girl. So we stand right from God. It's just believing that Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead and we give him our life. Then he implants the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And he, Jesus Christ, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And now we, because we are united with Christ, because we have a spirit in us, that we are united with Christ. So we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bridge and we are God's masterpiece. Now we are all created with a purpose and a destiny while we're here on planet earth. But the problem is we get caught up on a detour route. And sometimes we get off course and because sin infiltrates our life. And we've talked about Lucifer, Satan being a fisherman. He likes to hook us up with these lures as he's a fisherman and entangle us in these strongholds or these footholds. And he likes to get us off course from the direction in which we are going. I was speaking in Palm Springs, California a couple of weeks ago. And I got done and I was driving home and I, they, they put me on a detour route. I was going to be home in one hour to hang out with my kids and my wife. Well, what happened in that one hour on my way home in the first 10 minutes, I got on a detour route. I had to go around to get on the freeway and I ended up getting like a vice grip into my altering tires. I don't know how a vice grip went through my tire. It's not even sharp. It was the handle piece of it. It wasn't even the sharp part. So it went through my tire and I got a flat tire. Even the guy was looking at it and goes, I don't know how this thing went through your tire. This, I mean, I've never seen anything like this and I've been doing tires for 30 years. Well, what happened is they couldn't, they couldn't find the tire that fit my forerunner. So basically it took a total of six hours to find a place that could get the tire, that could fix it. And then by the time I got home, what happened to me is I ended up on a detour route. I could have been home in one hour, but what happened is I spent six hours trying to get home. And that's what Satan does. Even though we are a masterpiece and we are created for God's purpose and his destiny, what happens is we get caught up in the lies of the enemy, the shiny objects. And what happens is Satan ends up getting us on detours routes. And today I want to tell you a story about my life of how I was on a detour route. But then when I gave my life to Christ, I started being in full submission to Christ and not playing any more games and not bowing down to Satan and not getting caught up in the shiny objects. And God used, God opened doors quickly in my life. When I look back of what he has done over the last 13 years, it was 13 years, but there's a lot of stuff that he has done over that time. But I was 
decided I was going to be sold out for Christ. I wasn't going to compromise and I was going to do everything in my power to surrender and walk with God and let him lead and guide me and not bow down to the enemy anymore because Satan is the prince of the world. You know that, right? So if you're not for God, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So you're there worshiping the prince of the world. And that's just, if you don't believe in God or do anything with Jesus, you're with the prince of the world, believe it or not. But if you are not for the prince of the world and you are for Jesus Christ, then you will have a relationship with the God of the universe. And that's when he can transform your life and he will use you as that masterpiece that he created you at the very beginning of time. So as I grew up in Los Angeles, California, my dad's a, a famous pastor in, in Calvary Chapel in Los Angeles. His name's Raul Reese. He's on this radio station, CSN, for a million years. And, um, but I got caught up in the shiny objects and I went after the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. And I got exposed to pornography from a very young age. And if you guys know Billie Eilish, is that her name? Billie Eilish? She just came out on the front cover of New York uh, Post or New York News, New York Post or whatever it's called. And she says porn has destroyed her mind. How old is Billie? She's like, what, 18? 18 years old. She started getting famous. I saw her when she first came out. She was like 12 years old or 13 years old. She is massive rock star. And she said pornography has destroyed her brain. She's not a Christian. But what happened is pornography will get in and start manipulating your mind. And an average kid gets into pornography now at six years old. So pornography started destroying my mind. I got into drugs and alcohol in high school. From there, got kicked out of school. Ended up in the L.A. underground music scene. I started uh, going to these uh, events. I started producing events. I was doing punk rock shows. I was doing hip-hop shows. I was doing electronic shows. I was working for a record company, underground record company. During that time, I started dating a, a girl. I met her at a bar. Um, not a good place to meet a girl. I met her at a bar. I wasn't even into her, but what happened is I started off by having a sexual relationship with her. So I wasn't even into her at the time, but because of the sex drive, that opened this door for me to get involved with her, which led to... Uh, I ended up getting her pregnant. She ended up, uh, didn't tell me. She went to the abortion clinic, aborted the kid, told me after. She was broken. She was crying because she knew what she did and, and all the consequences that come with abortion. It sounds like a good quick fix, but what happens is the effects of abortion on her life. Then I ended up falling in love with her at that time. I ended up getting her pregnant again. Um, we went to the doctors. They discovered that we had uh, identical twins. One died out from vanishing twin syndrome, which is a condition where the egg splits and will die out. And we decided to get married and have the other kid. And a couple months or a couple weeks later, she says, I'm too young. I don't want to have the kid. So she basically decided that she was going to abort the kid at that time. I said, if you abort the kid, I'm going to leave you. And she ended up going through with it and aborted the kid. So now that's three babies I lost within, you know, almost a, you know, close to a year. And I remember that led me to a very angry relationship with God because of the life circumstances. This girl burned me, broken relationship. I thought I was going to marry her. I was going to have kids. All these expectations I had in life. I was going to do this, do that, do this. And all that was crushed and taken away from me. And I got mad at God and I hated God. So what did I do? I started acting out. It was almost like a a self-destruction mode. I decided I was going to basically make money, sleep with girls, watch pornography, have a big career and just do whatever I wanted. But what I was trying to do, the way I was acting out is I was, why was I drinking so much? Why was I popping so many pills? Why was I watching so much pornography? Why was I trying to sleep with all these girls? Because I was broken inside. My heart was destroyed. It was broken. It was hurt. I was 
I was, I was wounded. And then what I would do is I would act out to try to make myself feel good with this external stuff. But what happens is this external stuff will make me happy. So I, I got this good job, right? I started managing the number one skateboard team in the world. I was traveling the world uh, nine months out of the year for 10 years straight, working with the biggest rock and hip hop bands on the planet. I was producing large scale music festivals, like 20,000 people live in my dream. But why was I drinking so much? Why was I popping so many pills? Why was I doing this stuff? What was I looking for at the end of those bottles of pills? What was I looking for in the end of the bottle of the alcohol? What was I looking for at the end of that joint? What was I looking for for sleeping with so many girls? I was looking to fill that empty void in my life. And what that led to is all that did is band-aid what was really going on in my heart. It was numbing myself. I was turning off my brain from all the things that I've done that I didn't want to think about. I didn't want to think about these things because they would make me depressed and give me anxiety, right? So what happened is I was like the walking dead. I looked, I was basically dead inside and I was just walking through life lost. Even though I had everything I could possibly have career-wise, I was making so much money, so much money, traveling the world, living literally my dream. There was nothing that I didn't have that I didn't want, right? But yet, I was completely empty and broken inside because I never dealt with what was going on with the heart. It's the heart is the issue with our relationship with God. It's our heart, what's going on inside of us is the issue with us in life. If you just look at people's lives, you know people by their actions. They are acting out from what is going on in their heart. I have a lot of gay friends. From I'm from Hollywood, so I have a lot of gay friends, lesbian friends, transgender. What's going on is when you start talking to this community, you're seeing external stuff from what happened to them when they were young, behind closed doors, when another man came into this, uh, this little boy's room and took advantage of him. Or this other girl came in and took advantage of this girl when she was, you know, in bed. So you're seeing external stuff. People, kids are coming from broken homes. <clears throat> so they're acting out because the home life is destroyed or something has happened personally to them. It's a matter of our heart, what's happening. So my heart was broken. And what I was trying to do is I was trying to fix it with band-aids and that's through relationships, girlfriends, success, money, careers, cars. Oh man, if I just had this car, I'd be happy. I buy the car. Now I need a sound system. Now I need wheels. Oh, if I just had this house, I would be happy. I buy the house. Now I need a bigger house. You get all these things. And what happens is you always need the next. It's like buying a new car in like two, you know, two years later, you have to buy the new body shape because now yours is outdated. It's just a continuing wanting, wanting and getting nowhere fast and being empty. So what happened is basically I ended up uh, Odin of nine days of cocaine, Xanax, and uh, alcohol, and on a skateboard tour in Panama City, Central America. And at that point, that's when I decided I was at the end of my ropes. I was 33 years old. I said, God, are you real? Do you exist? I need you to prove that you're real to me and forgive me of my sins. Because I knew that Jesus was the son of God. I've heard about him, but he never revealed himself. So I said, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and take my life. I'm done with this life. I don't even care if I'm just end up like cutting grass for the rest of my life. Forget music festivals. Forget Hollywood. Forget all this shiny object stuff. I'll just do whatever you want. And what happened is I asked God to forgive me my sins. I repented. Repenting, I've talked about it. Repenting means to flip a U-turn in your life. Instead of going in a direction of all this stuff, of this brokenness, flip a U-turn, repent, and go in the direction to God. And what I did is I stole the Bible from a hotel room. It's called the Gideon Bible. I got on a plane. I read it for six hours straight. I landed in Los Angeles, and I felt peace for the first time in my life. And what happened is I repented. 
I asked for forgiveness. I believe that he was the son of God. He died on the cross and he raised from the dead. And then he implanted his Holy Spirit. I read the living word of God, the Bible, and he started manifesting and I felt peace for the first time in my life. Now remember, I believed, I received, but I had to read the word of God and then I had the effects of the Holy Spirit in my life. If I didn't read the word of God, the effects of the Holy Spirit would not be happening. Yes, he'll implant his Holy Spirit in you, but how do you get filled up? It's through having a relationship and being connected to Jesus. How do you get connected to Jesus? The word of God is Jesus. Jesus, the word of life, the word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the word. So how to hear God's voice? You may say, I've never heard God's voice, Ryan. Well, read the Bible out loud. Now you heard God's voice. Read it, be plugged into the power, and you will see the transforming process of the living water, the Holy Spirit flow in and through and out of your life. Because we believe the Holy Spirit is in us, he's with us, he comes upon us, and he will flow through us like a reservoir of living water. So I went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and I heard this song singing through my head. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I knew that God was real at this point because I said, prove that you're real. And I heard that small, still voice. So what happened is at that point, I went to the bookstore and I decided to get a, a new Bible because I had a King James version, which was very hard for me to read because I was in all the, 80, all the special ed classes because I was a hyper kid with ADD. They didn't know how to deal with me. So they're like, put them with the special ed kids or buy the pencil sharpener or like suspend them. I was just kind of an outcast. I was definitely an outcast rebel. So what happened is I got a New Living Translation Bible. I was going to pay for my Bible, and I saw this guy on the front cover of this book. It was called Save Me For Myself. It was the guitar player from the band Korn. These guys have sold millions and millions of albums. They're still filling stadiums today. And I said, what's this guy doing on the front cover? This guy has tattoos all over his face. He kind of looked like Jesus, though. He had, like, long hair, like, overalls on. And Because I always knew the Korn guys, they had, like, corn rolls and stuff, right, and braids and, like, dreadlocks and stuff. But I go, who is this guy? They said, that's the guitar player from Corn. I said, well, what the heck is he doing in this Christian bookstore? They said, he's a Christian. I'm like, if that guy's a Christian, I got this easy, right? If this guy can do it, I can do it. I remember buying the book and I read it in three days straight. I haven't read a book, you know, up to that point ever. And I read it three days straight and the Holy Spirit told me, he says, yeah, I just felt this prompting, this illumination from the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to work with him. And I'm like, why am I going to work with him? Like, I'm not, that's weird. Like, I, I have no idea why I'd work with this guy. Well, later on, what happened is, as I started reading the Bible, I ended up starting to work with Head later on, Brian Head Welch from Corn. That happened about uh, maybe like eight months later, God brought him into my life, believe it or not. I mean, God did all the details, right? He's, this is what he does. Um, but what I want to talk about is, as I, I, my life wasn't changed when I gave my life to God. I believed, I received the Holy Spirit, and I started reading the Bible. And in 2 Timothy, it talks about the Bible is the Word of God. It gives us instructions on how to live. James talks about the Bible as it's like a mirror, the Scripture. When you read it, you see what you look like. So if I wake up in the morning, and I look at myself, and my hair's all ragged, and, you know, my, you know, got stuff in my eyes, I got slobber on my face, or I don't know, whatever you wake up. I don't know. That's not how I wake up. But yeah. So you wake up all jacked up looking. You look in the mirror and you're like, man, I am messed up looking. And then I don't fix what I look like. I just walk away and go about my life and I go on my day. That's what the Bible is. When you, when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you fix your hair, you get ready before you go out, before you go out about your business. The Bible, when you read it, you look at it and you realize what's wrong with your life. So then you don't just look at it and go, oh, man, my life's, I need to change this in my life. And you go about your life continuing to do that. You read it for instructions. You apply it to your life and you change it. And through the illumination of the Holy Spirit and the power, the dunamis power, Acts 1-8, he will transform your life supernaturally in the natural, natural realm. Just like you see when the wind blows on the trees, you don't see the wind blow, but you see the effects of the wind on the tree. And in the same way, if you believe 
in Jesus Christ and you read the living word of God and you do what it says through the power of the Holy Spirit, your life will transform. People will see you and they say, you're the same guy, but there's something different. Why? Because they're seeing the effects of the Holy Spirit. So as I started reading the Bible, I said, God, I got a porn problem. I got a drug problem. I like sleeping with girls because sin, the Bible says sin is, is fun for a season, Right. Why do people do drugs and drink and go watch pornography and go gamble and do all this stuff? Because it feels good. Did you know that? Sin feels good for a season until Satan gets a hold of you and you're a slave to sin. <coughs> so what happened is I started reading the Bible. I said, God, you need to deal with my issues. And as I started going reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, I got to Matthew. And in Matthew, it says this. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, and he's talking to his disciples, so he's talking to you here. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you got to turn from your selfish ways. In Luke, it says, daily, it says. So every day we got to turn from our selfish ways, which I like to talk about as our body appetites, the lust of the eye, the prior life, the lust of the flesh. The Bible says these are not from the Father. So we got to turn from our selfish ways daily. we got to pick up our cross, and we need to follow Jesus. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. Go do you and do whatever you want. He says, you're going to lose your life for eternity. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And he says, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Is there anything worth more than his soul? There is nothing worth more than your soul. So let's flick back to the cross. Jesus says, you got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. What happened at the cross? Jesus came on a rescue mission out of eternity to die for the sins of the world. So to get crucified, which was one of the most brutal ways to die by the Romans, it was a way that you would suffer to the fullest. They would bring you into the quarters. They would tie you up to like a pole around it, and you'd get on your knees. And then a Roman guard, which I would like to look at like a like the Spartans, they were big, buff, gnarly, in-shape guys. And then they would have a cat of nine tails which with lead at the bottom of the of the, of the whip. And if you didn't confess your sins or your crime, should I say, they would whip you harder every time up to 40 times. Jesus had no crime. He had no sin. So every time they would whip him, it would be harder and harder up to 39 times. <clears throat> he looked like shredded meat. They barely didn't even know what he looked like. He was ugly looking. He got spit on. They got a crown of thorns. They crushed it into his skull. And then they mocked him. They put purple around him like a robe and they, they worshiped him like a king. And if that wasn't good enough, they made him carry this wood, this tree, this cross all the way up. And I've been there in Israel. They would have to, he would have to go up the hill all the way to Golgotha, which is called the skull of the rock. He would have to carry that cross. And remember this, they got, they got Jesus out of the garden of Eden. I get three in the morning and they started running court service on him to, to basically convict him of a crime he did not do. I mean, the whole thing was sketchy from the very beginning. Who does court at three in the morning? So he was up all night. They beat him. They spit on him. And then they made him carry the cross. And then they laid him down and they hung him on the, on the cross. And then they drove th- spikes, huge spikes through his hands and his feet, nailing him to the cross. If all that other stuff wasn't good enough, then they would hang him from the cross and he would sit there and he took all the sins, all the sins that you have done and that you'll ever do upon himself. And he was separated from God as he took all the sins upon himself because God and sin cannot be put together. And then he released his soul and he says it is finished and he died on the cross and he went to the middle of the earth for three days and he raised from the dead and now he sits at the throne of God on the right hand interceding for us so when Jesus says you need if you want to be my disciple you got to turn from your selfish ways you need to pick up your cross and follow me remember what he did on the cross 
It was, it's not a place for cheap grace. It's a place where he died and it was a bloodbath. It is a beautiful thing because we are forgiven of our sins, but it was the most brutal, beautiful and brutal, brutal. I can't even say this. It was the most brutal thing that has ever happened to man is to be crucified on that cross. But he did it because he loved us so much. And as if we believed in him, he would forgive us of our sins. So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to get your body appetites and you need to hang up on the cross daily and you need to turn from them. Pick up your cross and follow me. And he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. Go live after your body appetites daily. Go do whatever you want to do. Don't do anything with Jesus. He says, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your body appetites for my sake and you pick up your cross, you're going to save your life. And he says, what does the man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Is there anything worth more than his soul? There is nothing worth more than your soul. So basically what happened to me at that point, I decided I was going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. I wasn't going to bow down to the body appetites, the lust of the eye, the pornography, sleeping with girls, the pills, the alcohol, or any of that stuff. And God touched my life that day and took away the desires of all that stuff. It's been 13 years since he took away those desires. But then I found myself in a situation where I was like, God, now what are you going to do with my life? I do music festivals. I work with big rock stars. I work with the number one skateboard team in the world. I'm like, the guy, because that was my stupid mentality when I was in the world. I'm the guy. I'm not the guy. Jesus is the God of the universe. He's the one that allows me to do everything that I'm doing. I'm just a, I'm just a person here on planet earth, right? No, no more special than anybody else. And look what I did for me, how I got, you know, how I helped myself. I got myself into drugs and alcohol and destroyed my life. That's what I can do for myself. But I said, God, what do you want to do? With my life, if I am a masterpiece, as the scripture says, what plans do you have for me? Are they to prosper me or are they to destroy me? So what I decided is I decided I was going to surrender my life. I kept reading this. I said, God, you opened the doors. And what happened is God started using my skills for music festivals and working with bands. And he started connecting me again with rock stars, professional skateboarders, freestyle motocross riders, uh, artists, tattoo artists. Now I started working back in the music and skateboard industry at a higher capacity. But now I started using all these gifts and talents that God put inside of me for his glory. Because I go, oh, if I'm a Christian, now my life's going to be boring. What am I going to do? Just have to be in church all the time? That sounds so boring. No, church is to get discipled. It's to teach us the scriptures to know how to live out our faith in the world. You're not supposed to be, get, this isn't supposed to be your Christian walk stuck in church. You learn the scriptures and you go out and you live it out in the world. So what happened is I started doing music festivals again. I started, you know, now I do a radio show. I'm on CSN and a bunch of other stations as well. But I started living this life that God created me for, and he was doing this work inside of me, but then I found myself in this situation. And I have a book out. It's called Kill the Noise. You can find it on Amazon and Apple and Barnes and Nobles and all those different places, Walmart, Target, wherever they sell books. And you could hear more in detail. But I found myself in this situation where I wanted God to use, uh, I wanted to beat the girl of my dreams. And what happened during this time is I found myself in a very gnarly situation because here I am. I'm like, hey, God, I gave my life to you. You clean me up. But now I'm single. I'm ready to mingle. You know, I want to meet the girl of my dreams one day. But how would you do this in my life? 
And I just decided I didn't want to go out and date random girls. I didn't want to waste time. You know, I wanted for God to bring the girl of my dreams. I always dated the crazy girls because I went after the, the, the hottest, most beautiful girls ever, but they're the craziest, right? So I said, God, now I want you to bring me a hot, beautiful girl. I don't want to pick her out. I want you to bring her. So for five years, I was single. I didn't kiss a girl. I didn't hold hands. I didn't do anything. Now you know there's a God. A fact that now I wasn't watching pornography, none of that stuff. That was the biggest miracle that I didn't hang out with any girls at that time, but I waited. But what we have to do is we have to trust the process with God in every aspect of my life. And I want to, I'm going to read, I want to read um, something about in Jeremiah, but we need to trust the process because what God had to do in my life is he had to work on me. He had to get rid of things in my life. He had to show me who I was in Christ. He had to show me how to treat women. There was a lot of things he had to do in my life before he could bring the girl of my dreams because I had all these issues. He doesn't want to go, okay, Ryan, you're a Christian, but you got all these issues still. Now let me hook you, hook you up with the girl of your dreams. And she's like, I didn't sign up for all this stuff, right? God has to do a work in us before he can do a work through us. Well, he also had to do a work in her before he could prepare her to bring her to me. And, but I I remember praying for this girl. God, bring me the girl that you have for me. For five years, I prayed for my wife. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know where she was going to come from. But God had to do this work in my life. And I remember about five years later, I had all these, like, I had a list of things. Like, my girl, I can't live farther than 15 minutes from my house on maps because I don't do long-distance dating anymore. She has to be Latina. I like colored eyes. Um, you know, I like brown hair. I like olive skin. You know, I remember telling my wife when I was in second grade, I wanted my wife's name to be Crystal because I was a weird kid, and I used to like the way crystals look for some reason. But I would like to bounce off that verse that says that um, God puts those desires in your heart from a young age. So I said her name needed to be Crystal because I like crystals. Well, fast forwarding, I got invited to start teaching at Calvary Chapel, uh, Costa Mesa, which is funny because I told my friends as a joke, I said, I want, um, I need to start teaching a night or speaking at night in Orange County, California, so I can meet the girl. So she's like local. Well, the first night I get done speaking, I see this girl at the very back, walking by the back, and she's just, and I'm like, I've never seen no girl like this before. And I've traveled the world, I've spoken a lot of places, and I was like, whoa, this girl just stood out to me. There was something special about her. But then, I was like, I don't want to pick up on her. I'm the guy speaking on stage. I don't want to be the creepy guy trying to pick up on girls at church. But that's where you're supposed to meet girls, at church, not bars. So, I went up, I, I said, does anyone know this girl? And my brother goes, oh yeah, I know that girl. Her name's Crystal. So he introduces me to her and fast forwarding, long story short, she wasn't a Christian. She was a Catholic and she didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. So I gave her the book, the book from Chuck Smith. It was called Living Water and it was about the Holy Spirit. So she was working for the guys that started Facebook at that time, the Winklebus twins in New York with the, the launching the Bitcoin currency. So she went back to New York and God did all these things in her life to actually take her out of New York and plant her back in Orange County, California. Because remember, God is preparing people and doing things around. God's the divine chess player, divine chess player, and he's organizing the pieces where they need to go. So during this process, God ended up bringing her back to California. I ended up taking her out to dinner one night, like, you know, Christian dating, group setting. I was like, you and all your friends, me and all my friends, let's go get pizza. Is that how you Christian date? I don't know. But that worked for the time. So we went to go eat pizza, and I asked her, I said, so do you go to church? She goes, yeah. I go on like Christmas. I go on Easter. I'm like, great. She's religious. You know, she doesn't even know about, you know, a relationship. So anyway, long story short, she ends up reading the book. She gets saved. She basically ends up telling me she wants to get baptized. And I said, well, I'm doing my first baptism tomorrow. 
down at Pirate's Cove in Orange County. So she says, I want to get baptized. So I take her down there and I dunk her to dating her. It doesn't normally work like that, but I dunked her and I started dating her immediately. And she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we started going to church together. And um, God, uh, we, we about a month later, later we were at my birthday party and she gave, or it was just me and her at dinner. And she gave me a she gave me a birthday card, and it said at the bottom of the card, it says Second Chronicles 69. The eyes of the Lord search through the earth to strengthen whose hearts that are fully committed. And my mouth dropped, and I said, where'd you get that verse from? I said, you've been to church like two times. We've only been dating two weeks, and they're teaching in like Matthew. You have no business in Second Chronicles 69 in the Old Testament, right? Where'd you get that verse from? And she says, Ryan, she says, I Googled it. I Googled encouraging verses and 60 of them popped off the page. And this is the one that stood out. So I put it on your birthday card. So I pulled out my phone and I said, for the last five years, when the iPhone came out at this point, I said, in by one sticky note for the last five years, I've had my life verse. Second Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord search through the earth to strengthen whose hearts that are fully committed. Now there's roughly 32 to 34,000 verses in the Bible. Now, either I got really good luck or God's real and he's in all the details. So God gave her the same verse that was my life verse. So I knew that this girl was the one. So I said, let's talk about getting married. Do you want to marry me? And she basically said yes, which is crazy because I was already divorced. I didn't think I was ever going to get married again. I divorced that girl because I got married to that one through the courts. Then my wife, she actually got married prior to, and she was divorced. So we both, both weren't even looking to ever get married again. We're like, forget that. You know, that was painful. But here we are. God's in the business of restoring people's lives. Put us together. He worked on both of our lives over this process and put us together right at the right time. And we ended up getting married shortly after that. During that process, uh, we decided to have kids a year later. Um, we couldn't get pregnant, which brought anxiety you know, it brought a little, like my wife was getting depressed over it. And I didn't care if we had kids or not, but she wanted to have kids. And we went to see doctors. The doctors were like, we don't know why you guys aren't getting pregnant. We tried infertility treatment, nothing, nothing. Finally, <clears throat> we go, God, if we don't get pregnant this month, we're done trying. We're over it. We're going to adopt kids and we'll just adopt the tribe and it'll be amazing. And what happened at that point, we ended up getting pregnant that month. God comes through at the 11th hour. Doesn't he always kind of come through at the 11th hour sometimes? I hate that. I'm like, why? Why not like the third hour or the first hour? Why like last minute? It's because he's, he's, he's testing our faith, right? He wants to increase our faith. So he comes through. We go to the doctors. We decide, they, decide, they discover that we have fraternal twins, two babies that look different. So at that process, they say, uh, you know, this is a high-risk pregnancy. Come back every two weeks. So we keep going back every two weeks. We get to 16 weeks. Oh, we go back two weeks later, and the, doc, the doctor's looking to see if the babies are okay. And I said, oh, my gosh, doctor, what is that? And he goes, there's another one in there. And I said, what? He says, one of the eggs split into identical twins. A week late, you're having triplets. But he goes, I can't give you a picture of the third baby because it's behind. It's, it's called vanishing twin, where the identical splits, and it dies out. So we left. We prayed. We said, God, we want that third baby. And, and we went back two weeks later and baby C ended up catching up. So we're going to the doctors every two weeks because it's a high risk pregnancy. And we get the 16 weeks and the doctor says, we're sorry, but you're going to lose all three babies. All these babies are millimeters from coming out and your wife can't hold them. You're going to lose them all and they're all going to die. So we leave and he's basically, he was saying no science, medicine or doctors can keep these babies in. They're done. So we go home and we pray. We said, God, Jesus, you are God. You created the heavens and the earth. Nothing was created except through you. 
We said, God, you're the creator. You created doctors. You created babies. You created it all. We said, baby, we said, doctor, we said, God, the great physician, hold these babies in, in Jesus' name. And God woke up my mom at 3 o'clock in the morning with a vision. And a vision, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. She saw uh, a stormy sea with a boat from Jesus' time on it. And there was three babies, one with brown hair looking out the front and two identical twins sleeping in the front of the boat. And the boat transformed into Jesus' hand in the storm. So we knew that these babies were in a storm, but they were in Jesus' hands. And what happened is... Basically, week went by week, millimeters from coming out. We were terrified and nervous of the storm, but God ended up holding those babies in all the way till eight months, and I had healthy triplet daughters, no lung problems, no birth defects, nothing. And now either I got really good luck, or God is real, and he's in all the details. And remember, all signs and wonders point back to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that the Word of God is real. So we had those babies, Evelyn, Lillian, and Sadie Lynn, Reese, two identical blondes with blue eyes and one brunette with uh, brown eyes, which was interesting. At 16 weeks, we didn't even know what gender and we didn't know uh, what color hair. And God showed my mom exactly what they were going to look like in the vision. Isn't that just amazing? So what happens is we have those kids and all of a sudden it gets crazy. No one told me what triplets was like. Literally, we went through the gnarliest storm of my life. I was teaching. This is part of the faith journey that's important. I was teaching two nights. I had a church on Sunday night at my dad's church service that had about twelve to 1,500 people I was teaching every Sunday night. Then I had an Orange County night that was, uh, you know, probably like 600 people as well. And I was doing live radio show stuff. And I was doing all these high school events. Dude, my ministry was exploding. Then I have triplets. Like, if you want to be a pastor, which I don't want to be a pastor, um, if you want to be a pastor, um, and I say that because I just, I'm more of a John the Baptist kind of guy. I'm just like a out there reaching people in the world, in the music festivals, in, in the public school system. I want to be where, like, the dirty sinners are. You know what I mean? Like, rubbing elbows with sinners. That's my call. So, but if you want to be a pastor, I had it all, like, all perfect at the churches. Everything was thriving. And then... God, I have triplets and I have to like, I have to walk away. I can't do ministry. Literally, I'm feeding babies every 30 minutes with the triplets, cleaning diapers. So God's like, I need you to disconnect and walk away from everything. And I'm like, but you're the one that set all this up. Like, you ever like war with God? Why? You Like, I have two thriving nights and all this stuff. And now you're just saying, just walk away. Like, you walk away and that all just kind of goes by the wayside. And then I just disconnect. Well, I'm a man of faith. So I said, all right, God, I'm walking away. And I gave those nights to other people. <coughs> and I walked away from ministry. Now, for six months, I'm feeding babies. I'm cleaning butts. Feeding babies, cleaning butts. I feel like I'm just rotting away. I'm doing nothing with my life. What the heck is going on? So then, as that goes through, God's like, I get invited to teach at the pastor's conference at Calvary Chapel. And I'm like, but I've been just kind of like here. I don't even know what the heck's going on right now. What, what you want me to teach at a, pa- a big pastor's conference? So God gives me this message called wake up and I end up speaking at this pastor's conference. And right when I resurfaced six months later out of nowhere, I was in the wilderness experience. That message turns into me doing like that message a hundred times around the world, Australia, Mexico, Colombia, Chile, all over America. It just explodes. Then my school ministry 
explodes. I do 300. I ended up speaking totally 368 times that year in total speaking engagements. The radio show started exploding. Now we're on over 500 stations around the United States. And I say this because this is about a faith journey. Stuff doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Most of the time, it doesn't make sense. But God is the one that raises up and that tears down. He might tell you to disconnect, like John the Baptist. He's like, John the Baptist, I know you're a pastor's kid. I know you're the son of a priest. Your dad is a priest in the megachurch of megachurches in Jerusalem. (coughs) And he told John, disappeared to the desert. He's like, John, walk away from the megachurch and go out to the desert, to the wilderness, and eat locusts and honey and wear some camel hair and live off the land. John's like, okay, that don't make no sense. Be in line to the mega church. Be a priest in the big church. John's like, no, I'm over it. I'm going to the desert. See what I'm saying? Things don't make sense. But then God used John the Baptist for this massive revival to introduce the king, Jesus. And there was a major, major spiritual awakening happening in the nation of Israel. But how long was that dude in the desert? He was in his 30s and when he started his public ministry. So he was out there for years and years and years. And John's probably like, what the heck am I doing in the desert? What have I become? But God used them in a powerful way. So here I am. I resurface, and God does that. And God's taking me on this journey. I end up writing this book in the middle of the... Then all of a sudden we get shut down because of the coronavirus in L.A. They're like, everybody stay home. I'm like, I'm not staying home. You know, what would Jesus do? Then God opened the door. He's like, go to Idaho. So I'm like, what's in Idaho? I don't even, you know, what? So my cousin, he's in Idaho. And he's like, come up. So I started Googling skate parks. And you guys have amazing new skate parks in Idaho. So I was like, let's go do a tour in Idaho. And let's go reach the skate park kids since everyone else is shut down and the schools are shut down. So we came and me and my wife fell in love with Idaho. So we keep going back and forth to Idaho. Every time we were like on a family vacation or we could get away over the last two years. We're like, do I go to Texas, Florida, or Idaho? And, and she's like, Idaho. So I'm like, cool. So we keep coming back to Idaho. And this is what I want to end with. We, over the last five, six months, I've been feeling this unrest. I haven't even told anyone this anywhere, actually. So this is the first time I'm going to release this information here with you guys and on the radio. Why not? Go big, right? CSN Radio. So... I'm in LA and I live in Orange County. Orange County, South Orange County is probably the closest to the mentality of Idaho that you'll, you'll, you'll get to in California when it comes to the coronavirus. Gavin Newsom's like, wear a mask. We're like, no. Close the restaurants. We're all, no. We're going to go in and eat in our restaurants maskless. And that's, that's the way Orange, South Orange County is. We're like the, we have the John Wayne Airport, right? We're cowboys down there. So we're the closest to cowboys as possible in South Orange County rebelling. So I'm in Orange County and I'm like, I feel unrest. I'm like, we got to get out of here. I don't know. I don't feel like we should be here anymore. I don't know what's going on. But I'm like, why would we leave out of Orange County? This is the best place to live in California. If South County goes, just get out of California, right? But I'm, we're here. And I'm feeling all this unrest. I'm like, my radio studio's here. My dad's church here. I'm connected to the church. The Whosoever's Movement's here. Our whole family's here. My wife, her whole family, they own like Subaru car dealers in, in, or, in, in Orange County. You know, like our family business, car business and ministry, everything's there. Why, you know, why, what, this is stupid. I don't, why am I, why am I feeling like this? And then my wife's like, I had a dream of, of us like 
in, you know, somewhere else of this house. And this is what the backyard looked like. I'm like, well, that's weird. I'm like, well, we're not moving anytime soon. I can tell you that. And then, you know, I'm feeling unrest. I'm looking around. I'm like, I, I don't like this place anymore. I got to get out of here. So I'm like, Crystal, I'm like, you know, Gavin Newsom's his recalls coming up and, and we had a time to get away to, to take a little family vacation too. It was recently a couple months ago. And, and I'm like, I think I even spoke here. I think maybe around that time, but, uh, I was like, well, let's get out of here. Let's go. Maybe we need to move. I don't know. Maybe God's changing our hearts, you know, to move somewhere. I go, you want to go to Texas? And she's like, let's go to Idaho. And I'm like, all right, let's go to Idaho. So we drove up to Idaho. We were looking around. And anyway, long story short, we just kind of looked at all the properties around here and there and whatever. And we're like, this is crazy. I'm like, well, you know what? If Gavin Newsom stays in power, we're out of here. We're moving out of California. We're going somewhere because this place is going down fast, you know? So Gavin Newsom loses or wins. So I'm like, forget this place, man. We're out of here. California and uh, Mascafornia. That's my new one. Um, so we start praying and I said, God, you know, if you want us to go to Idaho, there's like 13 things that need, if you want us to move, there's 13 things that need to happen that will be miracles. Like I, I was like, you do that. You change these 13 things and we'll see. Well, guess what? All 13 things happened. I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I still have no faith, God. I don't believe. So I was coming out of this restaurant, this yogurt restaurant, frozen yogurt, with my kids and my wife, and they were ahead of me walking to the car. And I said, and I'm by myself in the back, and I'm talking to myself out loud. God, if you want us to move to Idaho, this is insane. Why would I go to Idaho? I'm a, I'm a California guy, born and raised. I work in L.A., in Hollywood. I said, if you want me to go to Idaho, then I need a dream I need, what's here to give my wife a dream? I need a vision or I need a word. And when I said word, I heard go through my whole body. Go. And I'm like, why would I tell myself go? I don't talk to myself like that. Like, go, Ryan. You know? And I'm like, I get in the car. I'm like, oh, shoot, Crystal. I'm all, God, just talk to me. And she's like, what? I said, he said, go. She's like, like, when? Like in a year? I said, no. When you say go, that means go now. So I said, okay, God. If you want all to happen, then you gotta, you gotta line up these last pieces. And literally, God lined up all those pieces, and we literally just moved to Idaho. We live here. But I wanna say this. I'm a man of faith. I don't know why I'm here. Because God does stuff that doesn't make sense. Everything on paper, for me, is back there. I don't know why I'm in Idaho. Honest, honest to God, don't know why I'm here. But I packed up and I moved to the wilderness, if you will. And I'm waiting on God, like John the Baptist. And I'm just waiting. I'm like, here I am, God, every day. I'm in Idaho. You know, we're in the Boise area up there. Because the skate parks, I told you. God got me with the skate parks. So we're there and we're waiting. And we're like, what do you want to do with our life here? Or whatever you want to do. And I want to end with this. It's, it's Jeremiah 18. And I wanted to tell you guys this because I'm a man of faith. And life, if we're believers, it's all about faith. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. But if the, paint, the picture I painted for you over the last 30 minutes is what does it show? Just surrender to God, be obedient, obedient and wait for him to entrust the process and let him lay it out. This is a process over years of what God has done. But being obedient, not a perfect Christian, I got issues, guys. I'm not perfect at all. I'm not a spiritual giant. But I've just been obedient, and God has literally laid my life out. Then he's pulled me back, taken away, increased, pulled back, told me to do some crazy stuff, go over here, do something over there, like all these weird things. But God shows up in these times because we are all vessels for him, for his glory. We are masterpieces. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 18. I'll end it with this. 
It says, <clears throat> let me drink this water down. This is crazy. I'm in Idaho, by the way, guys. This is the most radical thing of faith I think I've ever done in my life. Everyone's like, you're going to Idaho? I'm like, yep, God said so. So here we go. And we love it here, by the way. We think it's amazing. All right, it says this. Verse 1, Jeremiah 18. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter shop, and I will speak to you there. He said, what did he say to Jeremiah? He said, go. He didn't tell him what he was going to say. He said, go, and I'll speak to you when you get there. Okay? And I just read this this morning. God spoke to me to say this this morning. Go down to the potter's shop. Go down to Idaho, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working on the wheel. But the jar he was making didn't turn out the way he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. The Lord gave me this message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. And I just want to look at it from a different perspective. He's talking to Israel Basically saying he could bring judgment on, but we're not going to get into that. I just want to look at it as in being the clay in the potter's hand. So he told Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and I'll speak to you there. So he was obedient. He went to the potter's house. So once he got there, that's when God decided to speak to him through this illustration of the potter. The potter is making a vessel, right? So it's just clay. There's no form to it. He throws it on the wheel and he puts some water on it and he starts softening. I actually took a potter's class back when I was in sixth grade. Believe it or not, God has a sense of humor. So you, you smash it down and you start forming it and you start spinning the wheel. You increase speed to, you know, or you slow it down and you develop this, this, this vessel. And what happens is the potter developed this vessel and he didn't like the way it turned out. So what he decided to do is he started to crush it down again and remold it. And I believe as if we are biblically, we are masterpieces. And we know Second Timothy talks about there's different vessels in the king's quarters, the ones of clay and the ones of gold. Us as Christians, we are vessels of gold that we could be used for special occasion for his use because we are not caught up in sin. So God can use it because he's a holy God. He could use us. But what happens is I believe truly what I've seen in my life is that God creates us for different vessels for different seasons. So he crushes you, he molds you, breaks you down. No more porn, no more alcohol, no more drugs, no more sleeping with girls. I'm crushing you. My body's like, no, this stinks. But then he molds you in this new vessel. And he goes, now you're going to share your story of how God delivered you. And then I was sharing my story. Then he's like, now I'm going to crush you down again. Now you're going to become a pastor and you're going to teach at Bible studies. And I'm going to teach you how to teach. And it's going to stink because you hate reading and you hate studying because you always stunk at school. And I'm going to break you down and I'm going to develop you into a pastor teacher. And then he uses me for that season. And he's like, now, Ryan, you're going to learn how I'm going to break you and mold you because you're going to learn about baby stuff. And you're going to disconnect from ministry. And I'm going to teach you about life application with babies and wife and husband. And he breaks you down, breaks you down and he forms you into that new season. And then he's like, now you're going to do radio stuff and you're going to write a book. And I'm going to teach you how to write a book. Breaking you down. God, this is hard. I've never done a book before. I've never done radio. He breaks you down and then he molds you into that book guy for that season and then he's like ryan you're gonna leave everything you've known about california and all the business and all that stuff and i'm gonna teach you how to i don't even know what i'm gonna teach you right now i can't even talk into it right now but you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna crush you and he's gonna break you down because he's like i'm gonna form you in a new vessel and basically where i'm at right now in my life just to encourage all you guys he's breaking me down and smashing me and mold me into who knows what's going to happen this next season i don't know but we know this that god is the potter 
He is the potter and your life is the clay and it's on his wheel and he can speed up the wheel and, and, or he could slow it down. So your life may be feeling like it's spinning out of control. Remember God is in control. He's going to speed it up or he's going to slow it down. What he's doing for me right now is the potter's on the wheel. He smashed me down and he's adding the water because the water is the living water as I'm plugged in. And right now everything is just slow for me and the wheel is just going slow. And I'm like, as he's just kind of spinning it slow, thinking about he already knows what he's going to do, but I'm like, what, what's going to happen this next season? What kind of vessel are you going to turn me into for this next season? So I want to encourage you guys with this. I wanted to share my story because it's a faith walk. And I believe that this has spoke to you, all you guys in many ways. It's very life practical, life application that it's okay not to have everything figured out. And I'm not talking about being stupid. God has given us minds. You know how people uh, you just, uh, people say, well, what does God want to do? Oh, just be by faith or like whatever. Like, no, God has not called us to be stupid and not use our brains. The word of God is a lamp to our feet. He speaks to us through the word. So if you bow your will, you surrender your life to God and you read the Bible, he's going to show you what to do. You live by faith, but Bible is it's basic instructions before leaving planet earth. Is that what it stands for? The Bible is basic instructions before leaving planet earth. That's what it stands for. So when you read it, he will show you what path to take. But remember like Jeremiah, he just said, go, go to the potter's house and I'll show you what to do. And that's pretty much life. Sometimes you get these promptings, go to the, I need to go eat burger at this place, or I need to go down to the skate park or whatever, because there's a divine appointment there. And you think it's just you going, oh, I'm hungry for some Burger King right now. I want, I want a Whopper. Maybe he'll put that, that happened to me before. He's like, you want a Whopper? Like, you know, Whopper sounds really good right now. I went to get Whopper. I ended up leading some guy to the Lord, some heroin addict in the, in the, in the parking lot. Because God will give you those marching orders. And prior to that, I was listening to a Bible study. I was getting the words. My mind was plugged into the word of God. And he's giving those promptings. So don't think everything's going to make sense. Noah. Was it Noah that came out of the Egypt? He took the land, the people out of, not Noah, um, Moses. He had, he had to step forward before the water opened up. Remember, he had to tap the, he had to speak to the rock. It's always steps of faith. Peter in the book of Acts, it says that he stepped forward and it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave that amazing message. The Holy Spirit came upon him and all pe- kinds of people got saved and the church started. He had to put his faith in action. He had to step forward. So the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. What does walking mean? Walking, not sit by faith, not sleep by faith, not pray by faith. We pray, I pray as I walk by faith and go, God, lead me by your Holy Spirit. Drive me by your Holy Spirit. Push me by your Holy Spirit. Speak to me by your Holy Spirit. Wherever I go, and sometimes we get off course, but but if we ask God, God will continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us on course. And there's grace and there's mercy and God loves you and that's it. I'm going to pray.